You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back, everyone, to Conspiracy Normal. It's Adam. I'm here uh, by myself. Starfield is not here because he's still in the transition right now of moving to Seattle, and he will be back with us in the middle of April. Tonight, I have an interesting show, and I guess I didn't really plan it this way, but uh, here we <laughs> are going into, I think I'm going to probably put this out at the beginning of Holy Week. So we are going to talk to our guest here, uh, Mr. John Brooks, who reached out to me and uh, has a podcast called Hard to Believe Podcast. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And we'll also go, but we're going to talk about Jesus mythicism tonight. And this is the idea that uh, Jesus, as even an historical person, did not exist um so there's i guess i suppose three ways of looking at jesus whether you you there's the christian way there's the way that you know jesus was a teacher he was a but fully human not divine and then there's a way of looking at jesus as being a total myth so this is kind of the new way well it's not really new uh, i was reading about it and it seems like it it's been around for couple hundred years at this point so maybe even longer than that but uh before we kind of get into that john let's talk about you and let's talk about your podcast sure well thanks for having me uh i really appreciate it and absolutely uh, yeah thanks for coming on <laughs> what thanks yeah my pleasure we'll, we'll probably make some people mad i'm just gonna warn you um, yeah, I mean, this is a space where people get mad and I understand it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell you in advance that I'm very gentle and nice. So like, and I'm, and I'm not a crank, so <laughs> let's, I'll put that on the table, um, okay. right now. Uh, but yeah, it's great. Great to be with you. I, um, 
so so it's pretty weird timing to be honest because my uh my podcast hard to believe is coming to an end oh um, really at the end of this month i have been doing it that will be uh three years uh that i've been doing it but uh i am i am carrying the feed into a new podcast i am being joined by um a co-host so i don't have to do everything myself anymore uh and i'm really excited about it so we are launching a new podcast called pod only knows uh and that will be with my with my friend and fellow uh religious studies person kelly baker but in the meantime you can go back and and, and uh listen to a whole bunch of episodes of uh me talking about all the different ways that people believe things both religiously and otherwise um so i cover things like historical myths and conspiracy theories as you do um a lot of the same kind of content um I also try and kind of, you know, look at the way that some of our pop culture uh, properties approach uh, the, the nature of belief and religion and that sort of thing. And sometimes I just have a fun, dumb episode about Gladiator 2. Is there going to be a Gladiator 2? There or? is, but unfortunately not the one that Nick Cave wrote uh, about 20 years ago um where where maximus dies goes to elysium and then is told by the gods to go back to earth uh to kill someone who claims to be the messiah which sounds like a wild a wild movie (laughs) that will never be so so that's coming to an end but if you if you want to listen to it and if you subscribe to it you will automatically be subscribed to the new show which is starting in the beginning of may okay uh I also nice. have another podcast called 1999 The Podcast, which is my fun podcast about the mm-hmm. year 1999, um, <laughs> not surprisingly. Uh, and in my in my day job, I've been teaching religious studies for uh, 20-some years. I have a, my, my bachelor's degree is in religious studies, and I have a, I like to say a master's degree in conspiracy theories. That's not really true. Um, my master's is in digital humanities, but I, I spent a lot of time looking at the way that um, conspiracism has functioned within sort of the digital space, uh, especially over the last five, 10 years or so, um, and very especially uh, in the wake of QAnon. So yeah. Um, yeah. that's kind of that's kind of my background. That's a whole different episode. We will probably have to, but 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 yeah. there is one thing. But yeah, there is one thing that I do want to ask you about, and uh, something that I think that intrigued me in your initial email that you sent me was that you draw you you said you uh, working on the master's thesis on uh, white conspiracies that shaped Western history, yeah. and you say that. It uh, traced it all the way to the beginning, a modern conspiracy to the event of Christianity, and I thought that that was a pretty interesting statement. Yeah. Uh, what 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 do you mean by that? Kind of a lot of things. So so one of the things when you're studying conspiracy theories, one of the things you should never do is try and find a genesis point for anything because you will go like there's people who are spend their whole lives trying to figure out who Q is, right and it's useless and and it sort of misses the point. Uh, but one of the things that you kind of have to do when you're when you're taking an academic approach to studying these things is like you've got to pick a a point, if not the genesis point, then a point where things kind of took shape, right? In the in in the modern context. Mm-hmm. Um, my my perspective on this is that the the way that the Western conspiracy model, as as we've kind of come to understand it, and all the kind of tropes that we associate with Western conspiracism, um, namely the anti-Semitic tropes and and uh, tropes around like you know um, child sacrifice and bloodletting and all this sort of thing, 
that I, I think we can mostly trace the genesis point of at least that structure to the uh, the the Imperial Roman period, um, and specifically the Imperial Roman period of, of about two thousand years ago, when you have a emerging. And I know you've, you've talked about this in in other capacities. I think your last episode actually dealt with this um, with the uh, the rise of the cults, mystery cults, right? That we we call them mystery cults now. Yeah. And what you have what you have is kind of a in Rome, you kind of have an emerging marketplace of um, of kind of sub religions that are individualized religions that work in conjunction with the state religion. And with that, you you have kind of this this weirdly this democratization of ideas, right, where, where you start to see kind of the, um, the, the the balkanizing of a kind of subgroups and, and countercultures uh, throughout the Roman Empire. And they're assimilating all of these different sort of multicultural ideas. You have this incredible kind of, you know, ethnic and cultural diversity at the time. And, and you have these religions that are taking ideas from Persia and Egypt and sort of making new things out of them. And it, it seems to me that what starts happening here is that you, you move away from sort of monolithic uh, cultural cohesion, right, into these these subgroups who are in some ways competing for for membership they're 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 it's a marketplace and they also are very secretive because they are basically secret societies they're not unlike you know the masons and the rosicrucians right which came which came later on and as secret societies they draw the um they draw suspicion right from, from the people around them you, you can't know our secret knowledge you can't know what we know right you can't know the code the codes and the passwords and all that sort of thing and sure that that kind of naturally uh creates a uh, a sense of sus suspicion around these different groups and one of the things that we see in early christianity is christianity grows as it's not exactly the same as other mystery cults that's one of the reasons why it's unique um, but it basically exists within this marketplace. And one of the things that we start to see is, is Christians being accused of the same sorts of things that later the uh, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories will, will be accused of. Um, vampirism, cannibalism, right? All of these kinds of things, because the, um, the, the, um, the rumor is that they they eat the flesh of their god and they drink blood and right, which is which is true like that's, that's by their own sort of definition like that's that's what they're doing right um so, so a lot of like the, the 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 breaking up of of society into these and i think that's a good thing by the way i think more democratization is a good thing but but it's when you take away the sort of monolithic group think and the sort of one state religion thing and start creating something as personal and deep as religion and 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 allowing people to sort of express it in these personal ways and build these sort of competing groups, you are bound to get into a situation where you have whisper campaigns and and rumors about the other groups and what they're doing and who they're in cahoots with and what their secret agenda is, and all of that really is the DNA of conspiracism. And I, to me, when I look at, um, and this is something we'll talk about when we talk about the, the mythicist argument. But when I look at Paul, I see in Paul these remarkable um, parallels between Paul and QAnon. And what you have with Paul is a guy who claims to have secret knowledge from an invisible source. 
who has told him the real true story about what's happening in the universe. And he he knows what the real plan is, right? The apocalypse is is the real plan. And and only if you, you know, only through him and only if you like follow this leader, right, will you get the secret knowledge of the end times. There's there's a there's a ton there that that is almost as though QAnon sort of takes that blueprint and just reproduces it in the modern digital age. Um and you know, it's sort of like why 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 did this not happen before? And I think the reason is because in most cultures prior to this, you really do have an all-powerful monolithic entity controlling everything, and nobody questions that. Like in ancient Babylon, you have just like a king and the king's in charge. And like, so there's no reason to develop this sort of conspiratorial thinking. Because you know life sucks, and you know that some some you know big giant cabals in charge of everything, and and there's you know why 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 doubt it, right? Um, it's only when you start creating these kind of subgroups that that you start having those doubts entering in. Um, and so I think you can draw a pretty straight line um, in the way that conspiracism evolved and emerged in different pockets of Western history. Uh, from the emergence and then ultimately the domination of Christianity, um, all the way through to the the protocols of the elders of Zion and 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 QAnon. Yeah, that's very that's very interesting. Um, and you know, I mean, you know, QAnon does have a very kind of Christian bent to it. Sure. Um, a very apoca- you know, a, a very apocalyptic bent to it. Um, it feeds into some evangelistic Christian narratives yeah um it takes a lot from that and the idea that as aaron Gullius calls it a a triumphalist conspiracy theory in <laughs> other words it 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 promises a better world it's not it's not essentially it's not a negative conspiracy theory because it promises once we get rid of the adrenochrome um people right. that people in hollywood and and the cabal once we get rid of those people there will be a new world and basically it's kind of like the new jerusalem right that's in uh the book of revelations in a a sense i'm glad you said that i think you're you're dead on one thing that people need to understand i think about these sort of massive um sort of uh institutional conspiracy theories um is that they all ultimately, yes, are anti-Semitic. <laughs> That's, that tends to be true. Um, but but there's always an optimism in them. Um, and that optimism often involves massive destruction and violence and a complete breakdown of the existing systems, but ultimately a replacement with, with a new one. Right. The, the, the QAnon mantra was trust the plan. And the idea was basically yeah. like all of the evils of the world are going to be exposed. Now, you can tap, have good faith disagreements about what the QAnon people think are the evils of the world. But it's it's this idea that like every the reason that everything sucks for you is because literally the man has been working against you and there is a plan to unveil it and to change it and to destroy it and to bring about something new and better. And that is very literally what apocalypticism was um, in, in 2000 years ago, right? The sort of apocalypticism that, that Paul preached was, it was this idea that like the reason things suck for the Jews <laughs> was because God's about to reveal the plan. The master right. plan, right? right? Trust the plan. Like that's <laughs> yeah. exa- that's exactly what Paul's it's, saying. Yeah. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, and, and I don't, I don't know if I'm necessarily like all conspiracy theories have a are 
are anti-Semitic in nature. But but I would say though that they base them a lot of them base themselves on an anti-Semitic trope. And, and most from of them, that most of root, them don't from that root you get so you just it's it's basically a mad lib. You just fill in what right what entity, you know, it's the it's the Jesuits or you know the Illuminati or sometimes that's the same thing. You know, that right. that's 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 usually, you know, the are the mythical they, but it pulls from this whole idea that you know that that was started because of anti-Semitism in a lot of ways. Right. And and a lot of those tropes that um that, that Jews got accused of, starting with you know the blood libel in the Middle Ages, right. those tropes are borrowed from the same tropes that Christians were accused of before Christians were dominant. That's true. Right. It's yeah. it's 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 this it's this like marginalized separate class who who keeps to themselves that you have to be suspicious of and there are easy yeah. targets for you to build conspiracy theories around. Um, when I say the anti-Semitic thing, in my experience, in most modern conspiracies, it's kind of like the Scooby-Doo thing where you just like keep pulling off the masks. And like, yeah. once you get to the last mask, it's anti-Semitism. Eventually, <laughs> eventually, you, yeah, eventually you get to that point. And, right. <laughs> and, I, and I mean, in, at the same time that the Jews were being, I mean, the, the Christians were being persecuted and said that about them. Jews were also being said the same thing. Oh, sure. I mean, there's, sure. there, there's anti-Semitic uh, blood libel that goes back even before pre-Christian. I mean, that goes, some of that goes back into at least the second century BC, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yep. We did yeah. a whole show about this, about the blood libel and kind of where it comes from. And I, I was shocked to find out that it actually went that far um, in time, to be honest with you. But yeah, it, it, I mean, the modern version of it, is, is very clearly sort of high middle ages but but yes yeah. the, the basic the, the the blueprint the dna of it goes back a very very long way um yeah. and it, it it rests in some very primal fears right i mean we we have this human primal fear of blood that we've sort of evolved <laughs> which makes sense yeah because when mm. we see it we're like uh oh that's <laughs> true um and and a, and a primal fear of 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 children uh being being harmed right i mean yeah. that's that's just something that is very easy to harness to to create a narrative whereby you mm. can convince people to do harm to others because these basic fears are so deep within our dna um yeah you know yeah. and it's and again it's the same thing with like adrenochrome and pizzagate it's the same story right it's it's blood harvesting and and child sacrifice or or whatever it is that's going on at you know comet ping pong <laughs> in washington well, dc yeah the, the the when when you pull in the threat to children um you're not talking about just uh basic humanity you're talking about us as mammals right I mean, you're getting yeah. to something that's <laughs> right. extremely yeah. primeval and is and is and is very much can trigger the base brain, mm -hmm. and that you know I think that's why it's so dangerous and that's why it's so effective at the same time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely right for sure. Let's get into the Jesus myths, uh, mythicism stuff, but I think what we'll try to do first is kind of like your own personal journey with this. Yeah, and. Okay. and I mean, I'll, I can tell you, I mean, basically that like, I mean, I still consider myself a Christian. Um, I don't, um, I'm not as church going as I used to be, but especially sure. since, um, since COVID and uh, 
started <laughs> and just kind of the foolishness that that churches were engaged so a lot of churches were engaged in at the time and i just i've just really started to become impatient with it and um but you know i still consider myself basically a christian you know but but mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of what i believe is really based in faith so i'm i'm willing to you know go down to the basic of well jesus was a man and the religion was built up off of him but sure. with jesus mythicism we're talking about jesus never existed this is a mythical character mm-hmm. just like king yeah. arthur let's just kind of talk about your personal journey you know, like <laughs> coming to this conclusion and then we can talk about the points i guess of why uh jesus may or may not may not be real okay um so this is this is a, a long and sort of multi multi-roaded uh journey that's, that's fine <laughs> we, we have time so. i know yeah <laughs> um so i as i kind of i think i alluded to you uh when we were talking over email um i, th- I might have i don't remember what exactly i said in the email but but uh, the where wh- where and how i came to my current position on this um was a uh recently and be kind of kicking and screaming um i really really resisted the uh coming to this conclusion and uh, there are some very good reasons as to why right and we'll we'll, we'll mm-hmm. get to that it's, it's sure. a very this is a very murky and very sort of um a, a field that's very much in its infancy i think in terms of um academic credibility anyways um, so I really did not want to come to this conclusion. Um, and I really very, very, for a very long time, uh, very much was what we would call a, a, a sort of a minimal historicist, which is the basic premise that I think most academics now sort of just have settled on. And I, I have some, I have some theories as to why, but that, you know, Jesus was this guy and he had a cult following and then he died and then his followers were like, well, that sucks. <laughs> and, and then sort of built this sort of posthumous religion around him. And, you know, that most of what's in the Gospels is, is you know, highly fictionalized and whatever. But there is some core person, right, that was the, at the start of all that. I, I'm, I've, I, I grew up sort of you know, nominally Christian, I suppose. I, I grew up as an Episcopalian. Um, I'm my family's English. I so did. I, I did too. I did too. So right, right. Yeah. So you can kind of you can kind yeah. of relate. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So kind of like culturally Christian, but never really. I I, I was very always very. I mean, I, I have my degree in religious studies, obviously. So religion's always been an area of um, academic interest to me. Um, mm-hmm. I've always found it bizarre and and weird and 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 fascinating. And certainly, like, always wanted to sort of believe that there was a God, but you know, sort of, I I, I came to the conclusion that there wasn't um, maybe a decade or so ago, right? And just was like, I I just this is just where I'm at. Um. So you know, like. I had everything in place to just sort of settle on the historicist, the the sort of minimal historicist perspective. And the other thing that I think this is really important to the conversation is that most mythicists are complete fucking cranks, right? Can I swear on your show? I'm sorry. I'm I'm fine. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with it. It doesn't bother me. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Sorry to the children in the room. I I could put a big E on on, on, uh, on the feed if you really want me to. No, but that's but that's the best way to describe them. So so you know, there's these are these are the 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 Graham Hancocks of the religion religion world, right? You know, these are just people who like they really don't understand the the data, they don't understand the field, they 
see connections that maybe do exist but don't exist for the reason they think they exist and you know you have guys like Joseph Atwill who like in 2005 released a book where he claimed that that Christianity was a conspiracy that was you know put together by the Roman Empire to break up Jewish community it's 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 just yeah this is the this is Caesar's Christ thing yes that's the one it's complete junk it is absolute Mm -hmm. nonsense so you yeah, have if that, that if that's true that radically backfired on the Roman Empire eventually. <laughs> <laughs> or so, kind yeah. of or kind of didn't because Christianity also kind of saved the Roman Empire but whatever like yeah, yeah that, it's 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 a long story and it's not worth talking about because it's complete nonsense so then you have that you have kind of then you have a bunch of like you have like you know bill maher who has no idea what he's talking about and like mm. makes a documentary about religion that has just it's just completely full of yeah you know wikipedia information and like stuff he probably got from like geocities websites in like 1998 uh, uh, i i think for not to interrupt me but i think just like a lot of it is that like people are dealing with the kind of the, like bill maher i think he just generally just has a hatred for religion and i, <laughs> yeah. I don't i don't yes, i don't think you, i don't think you have a hatred for religion so no. some people we i mentioned the um before we got started we we talked a little bit about the god that wasn't there documentary and right. I I watched that kind of in preparation for this, and it really did not bring any clarity to anything because a lot of the <laughs> the, the first maybe it was maybe fifteen minutes of him saying, "Okay, Jesus isn't real," and then the rest of it is just an axe to grind with Christianity. Which, hey, I get it. There are plenty of axes to grind with Christianity. Yeah. We've talked yeah. about them a lot on this show with yeah. Christian other Christians, but it is you know. It just was not, it was just like filling out an hour space. So I feel some people have just an ax, a personal ax to grind. 100%. Yeah. One of the reasons why this is such a difficult position to hold is because the unique place that religion has with people where there's basically three camps. There's people like me who are um, academically minded and who pursue it from that perspective and have no like skin in the game in terms of you know the salvation of my soul or whatever uh, <laughs> um, and there's a lot of us right um, then there's people who are uh, religious studies academics and also apologists right so, so they so they are d- you know deeply invested in in also sort of like proving x y and z and then there's bill maher right and or or x or you know really bitter evangelicals and that sort of thing who just yeah. like understandably are traumatized by religion in some way or or just have some baggage and that makes it really difficult but it's always going to be a sensationalist topic which is why someone like joseph atwell can sell books because all he has to do is make up a bunch of bs and and boom you you've got yourself a book right and and it really kind of poisons the well for having a real good faith discussion um about this topic so so that was sort of my perspective and then there's also i mean you know you also have on the other side of it sort of the the hyper historicists like the the dan browns of the world who like you know then weave the story of jesus having children and it's it's just it's such it's so it's it, it is just such a poisoned uh conversation in sort of the um the, the popular conversation right that 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 it's really really hard to like even kind of break ice on this um, which, which he ripped off from holy blood holy grail and absolutely right which is all again and all just a right. bunch of conspiracy nonsense to sell to sell books 
Um, <laughs> so, you know, when it comes to this, when it comes to taking this position, my 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 feeling, and I, I want to make it clear that I right now, based on all of everything that I've ever come to know and everything that I've read and everything that every every argument that I've come across, I believe it is more likely that Mark or the the the, the author of Mark um, invented a earthbound Jesus who existed in within a historical framework within a historical narrative. And that, that invention was a way of uh, euhemerizing, which is to say, taking a, um, a mythic figure and putting them into history, which happens a lot, right, with mythic figures. Um, euhemerizing a previously existing um, celestial being, who, and I want to make this clear, Paul genuinely did think existed, right? That's the difference, that he's not made up, he's not a fantasy and it's not a conspiracy, but Paul believed this figure existed. But did not exist on Earth. That this was a this was a heavenly figure that Paul was getting information from, um, and that the people who predated Paul, um, Cephas or, or Peter, however you want to talk about him, they had come to the same conclusion. They'd started a similar kind of a cult um, in Jerusalem. But this was where the whole Jesus movement started. It seems to me now that that is more likely than not. Now, if some archaeologist comes along and presents some undeniable and very, very sort of compelling evidence of a historical Jesus that refutes that, I am all ears and I can't wait to hear it. And I would be entirely receptive to it. Right. Um, but unfortunately, every time someone seems to do that, it's like the ossuary of James, which is a complete fraud, or it's like, you know, the the, the Shroud of Turin, right, which is a complete fraud. And it's like, we just don't have that tangible evidence. Um, but I'm open to to changing my mind if I see evidence that changes my mind. But so far, um, so far, nothing has. Uh, so I can tell you like sort of how I specifically came to that conclusion. Sure. Bit, but yeah. I, I'm going to, yeah. I'll, I'll pause if you want to, if you have anything, you know, if you want to want to respond to any of that. The Shroud of Turin is interesting. I, you know, I don't know if that's, I don't know. I mean, it, if it, it, it's a fraud. I mean, I, because of the dating on it but it's pretty damn sophisticated <laughs> it is it's so what, very what, sophisticated. What, whatever it is um there is that idea that it could have been a a form of ancient photography or medieval yeah. photography yeah. which is interesting that's a, a, a book that i read a long time ago about it but um <laughs> yeah so I, I i think my okay so my question is and, and we can go back to how you kind of came to to this but this mythical being that Paul is talking about, how does he encounter this mythical being? And then is, and, and, and you kind of turned me on to Richard Carrier's work. Yeah. Like as Carrier has made the statement, but I haven't heard him really expound on this yet. And some of the, I've only watched a couple of interviews um, that there was that in ancient Judaism, there was this character, there was this being that uh, was part of, I guess, of their religious experience. Mm. Who was that? Who, what, who is that person or that being rather than that entity that he's talked, that they're talking about? That's where it gets a little complicated. Um, let me come back to that because um, okay. that's a really great question. And um it's it's one of those things where you you need to rethink the what your assumptions are about um, first century Judaism 
and I think the Dead Sea Scrolls is a really important discovery in that it helped to, it, and still is helping, right? People are still sort of digesting what the Dead Sea Scrolls imply, but the 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 the, the multifaceted nature and weirdness of like Imperial Roman <laughs> Judaism uh, is is pretty is pretty extraordinary. I yeah. so I you might know that the the quest for the historical Jesus is one of the great academic failures of all time right um it is it has been done in multiple phases and every time it has come up empty and well don't don't say that to Bart Ehrman no uh, Jesus okay um <laughs> I'm gonna I'm just about to talk about Bart Ehrman um By I the love way, Bart... I, if you listen to the last show Heather uh, who yeah. I just had on uh yeah. she actually uh took a class from him at, oh. uh, at unc chapel hill i'm intensely jealous yeah. of that um she was great i really enjoyed listening to her um i love bart Ehrman. i've read almost all of his books um i still read his books i still agree with him almost all the time but ironically <laughs> the thing that drove me into the arms of mythicism was his book did jesus exist in which he seems to think that he is making a convincing and conclusive claim that Jesus existed. I was so excited to read that book because I'm like, I, you know, nobody knows more about, you know, classical Christianity than Bart Ehrman does. And uh, I can't wait to read what he has to say. And I was, I was crushingly disappointed. I mean, like just brutally disappointed by it. Mm -hmm. Um, because he he rests most of his argument on one single piece of evidence that I don't think is even con convincing evidence. And then everything else is just kind of conjecture and just sort of like, well, obviously this wouldn't happen if this happened. And it's like, no, I, I'm not satisfied with this. And, and I, I think when I realized that the person that I most admire to talk objectively about early Christianity really dropped the ball on this i was like I, there's there's got to be more here there's got to be a better explanation and when i when i finally started you know you know people like um robert price who i who i despise but i i think he's 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 a pretty good mythicist um and people like carrier who who i i read his argument i actually have read his his peer-reviewed 25,000 page or whatever it is book um cover to cover and and I think he makes a really compelling case and 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 to me like the the litmus test was in reading that a lot of these questions that I'd had for so long of like why 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 would he say this or why did this happen or why did this not happen this way a lot of those pieces fell into place and I just felt like this explains a lot of those nagging questions that I've had for so long that until something better comes along, I, I think I kind of have to settle with this as my as my perspective and, and, and also be open and honest about it, because I don't think it serves anybody um, for me to pretend that I'm still a historicist when I'm not. I, I, I just I, I don't this works better for me. And, and I and I think it's worth, you know, sort of um, putting my my own limited amount of uh, clout behind that, which is which mm -hmm. is what I've you know kind of taken on doing. So what was the 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 straw that broke the camel's back for you that disproved without a shadow of a doubt that there was no historical Jesus? Again, nothing has proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Gotcha. But okay. right, I I I still have shadows of doubts. <laughs> like, <Gotcha. laughs> um, 
what I will say, if we're going to use that terminology, if existing was a crime, uh, no court on earth would convict Jesus of it, right? Like, I, I think that's basically the way I look at the evidence that we have. The biggest thing for me, and I think this is something that because of the way that the Bible is edited, the way that it's specifically structured with the Gospels first, academics know, we all know, right, that the Gospels are not first, that the earliest written documents that we have are the authentic letters of Paul, of which there are seven of the you know 14 um, uh, letters that are attributed to him, right? That's true. So, mm -hmm. so academic consensus is, is, is the Pauline letters. And so I started taking a different methodology to the way that I looked at um, what the Bible suggests about what it's telling us Jesus is. I ignored everything after Mark as far as the Gospels go, because if you're going to use any of the canonical Gospels for any kind of evidence of historicity, you can't go beyond Mark because Mark is, is the earliest of those four. And, and, and you have to sort of mentally reshuffle and, and, and consciously go into Paul and Paul's authentic letters, knowing that this is the earliest documentation that we have of the canonical work. Um, I think there's some other stuff in the Bible that's probably around the same time. I actually agree with with um, with Gary Stevens. Apocalypse of John is is quite a bit earlier um, than is usually attributed to it. I, I think the letter of First Clement is earlier than than most scholars attribute to it. But that's neither here nor there. The, the, the fact is, when you look at Paul, you and and you and you ignore the Gospels and ignore everything else and just read what Paul is telling you. Right? Um, you, you you notice some things that are very compelling um, and, and very curious. One of them is that the idea of a second coming of Jesus is a purely liturgical idea. That is not what Paul says. Paul never talks about the second coming of the Lord. He talks about the coming of the Lord. Paul writes as, as though Jesus has not yet arrived, right? Paul never says second. And, and that, as that always bugged the hell out of me, right? I'm like, why is he talking about it this way? There's other things. I mean, I mean, Paul goes out of his way in, in Galatians to say, none of what I know about Jesus came from manly sources, came from earthly sources. Everything I know about Jesus came from Revelation. Now, a lot of historicists will say, well, yeah, Paul doesn't care about the earthly Jesus because we know we never met him. They never overlapped, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm like, I, I, I really have a hard time. I mean, I, I, you know, that's, that's fine. But I have a hard time buying that argument because it seems like Paul would do very, very well to at least invoke this guy who he thinks was the Messiah at some point, even if he'd never met him. But he insists that nothing that he knows about Jesus comes from anything but revelation. I also have a personal kind of connection to this because I know there's a lot of like when I read Paul, um, I see a lot of myself in Paul in this way in particular, which is that there's a lot of a lot of theories that that Paul was epileptic um, and that Paul's yeah. Paul's encounter in Damascus on the road to Damascus was a seizure. Right. I've heard I'm also that theory. Yeah. I'm also epileptic and mm. I've experienced what a seizure can do to just like sort of reset your entire brain. What we know about Paul is that something happened to him at some point that reset his entire brain and yeah. that he in his kind of first century logic took it to be divine revelation and an encounter with Christ. To me it makes perfect sense that he was aware that there was this group who believed that the Messiah had been um, crucified in heaven 
and died for the sins of mankind in heaven and was soon to come to earth to bring about the new Jerusalem. And that in his, in his seizure, believed that he had been chosen as the messenger for that. Because here's this guy who is about to go speak to, if the historicists are right, the guys who knew Jesus, <laughs> and he has no respect for them. Whatsoever. Doesn't care less about the fact that they apparently were like friends with Jesus or Jesus's brother or whatever else. And that just doesn't make sense to me. I, I, I can't, I can't get my head around that one. Right. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the, the basic facts on the ground of what Paul says, that if we were to take Paul as basically the, the earliest source that we've got, and he is, um, and what Paul describes to me is not a guy who lived in Nazareth, who had a cult following that suddenly he's now in charge of. Um, it, it tells a very different story. Okay. Well, let me, okay. Well, based on that, uh, let yeah. me ask you, uh, who is this? The, the, so we, we'll go one step back because we'll go Paul before Paul has his um, conversion yeah. on the road to Damascus. And, and by the way, to, to, to make a statement, I've always heard that in the ancient world, epileptics were considered divinely inspired right. or divinely touched right. by the gods there yep. was this you know uh, alexander the great was supposedly an epileptic uh caesar Correct. was an epileptic we know that for sure so you know these great men some of them were cons even considered like demigods um so that there there is that ancient tradition there so that's interesting um but that's more of an aside so we go one step back to yeah i guess uh, who, who is it that um that 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 baptizes paul that tends to after he's blinded i can't remember the name i'm blanking on the name oh so yeah that, um so, so uh, that so that figure and peter um who right. is the figure who is the figure that they are saying is that is crucified jesus. in heaven yes not on the earth so that figure is jesus christ <laughs> and, okay and, and here's basically how that works. So, so one of the things we know about um, a person who is a really important sort of missing link in this is Philo of Alexandria. Right. And we know a lot about what Philo of Alexandria taught. We know a little bit about where he went. And there is reason to believe that he was in Jerusalem right around the time that someone like Peter would have started a Jesus cult. So we, there's nothing conclusive about that. We can't place Philo, you know, as as the guy who kind of went and started this 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 idea and this cult in Jerusalem. But it's not beyond possibility, right? And 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 certainly, like it's it it matches, kind of timeline wise. Um, so Philo and and Alexandria, as I'm sure you know, was a place of enormous religious and and philosophical diversity. Um, right, right. Where, you, where you have this sort of like Neoplatonist movement happening, um, you know, a lot of like Hellenist philosophy mixing with Judaism and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Septuagint, right, is like a product of, of, the, of the great Alexandrian <laughs> experiment. Right. And, and Philo seems to be talking about this very thing. Right. In, in Philo's writings, he seems to be talking about a, a celestial messiah. 
and you know I, I could I could point you to some of them or whatever but 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 the the there does appear to have been a sort of philosophical Platonist tradition of this now one of the things about Platonic philosophy is that it argues that in the kind of heaven sphere there is a um ideal reproduction of all earthly things right but, well um, that's that's hermetic philosophy that's above us as above so below essentially right yeah. right and and you know it's like the resurrection hub in battlestar galactica right so like uh, <laughs> nice kind of that's a nice reference i, uh, I approve yeah. of that it's one of my <laughs> favorite shows ever yeah oh me too uh we could have a whole different conversation about sure. that um, but that's, you know, that idea in Battlestar Galactica is, is essentially what sort of, um, what Paul's imagining, that there is a heaven space that has a perfect reproduction of all of the flawed things on earth. And one of those, right, is sort of the, the, the perfect reproduction of, of the Jesus character, the, 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 the final messiah. Paul talks a lot about like one of the things Paul says that a lot of historicists point to, for instance, right, is that Jesus was born of a mother. And they're like, well, aha, he was born of a mother. Well, like he never says a virgin or Mary. He says a mother. And like, if you know anything about, you know, celestial beings, they also have mothers. Like Hera was a mother. Like it's, it's not, it's not, this is that's, how people that's, kind of thought, right? Yep. Yep. That's stuff, true. Mm -hmm. Stuff plays out that way. Or like that he was right. born of the, of the seed of David. Right. And people were like, is there intergalactic semen? And like, yeah, there is. <laughs> this is literally how people thought. Um, um, we could get back to the, the seed of David thing if you want to, like, that's a, that's a very sort of niche uh, part of this argument, but I think it's a really interesting one. So one of the things that I, it's always very, very suspicious about Jesus as a Messiah what people don't realize is that the first messiah the first person to have or claim the the title of messiah um which means anointed right in 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 hebrew is joshua uh when moses is about to depart this mortal coil he 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 sees joshua as a likely as a worthy successor and so he anoints joshua and he gives him the title messiah well the anglicized, if you go through the Greek, the anglicized uh, name of Joshua Messiah is Jesus Christ, right? Like, literally, that's what Joshua's name is. Um, so it stands to reason that, like, if you are part of this apocalyptic messianic tradition, you are going to believe that the final Messiah will also be Jesus Christ, right? It's, it's, it's the, it's the, basically the, the perfect version of the Joshua mold, right? So Joshua's name is Yeshua, which means God saves. Um, right. And, and, and that got translated into like, there's this whole Greek to English in between, right? Um, the name is in Greek is Yushas, and, and sort of that's, that's what it's translated both as Joshua and then Jesus. But then in the English version, you get two separate names, right? Well, it's, it's very complicated, but it's the same name. Um, and the other time that this name appears uh, is when you take the, so Ye Yehu, uh, means God in the Yahweh form, right? And and in Hebrew, El, uh, El means means God in the Elohim form. Um, so to get very nerdy on you, for instance, right? The name Jonathan and the name Nathaniel are the same name, right? It's just that one is the one is the Yahweh J Natan, and the other is the El Natan, right? So Natan El and Yahu Natan, it's the same name, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It's just the two different names of God in the in the Hebrew tradition. Um, the other Jesus in the uh, the Bible is Elisha, 
um, who is the Elohim form of God saves. Uh, and his mentor is Elijah. And Mark makes the claim that John the Baptist, who, by the way, I think was a real figure, <laughs> just so we're clear, uh, that John the Baptist was the, the reincarnation, essentially, of Elijah, and that Jesus is the reincarnation, thus, of Elisha, right? Because it's the same, it's the same name, um, except the roles are kind of reversed, and there's this, it's, it's you know, I'm not going to get too nerdy and complicated on it. Um but the, the the argument the carrier makes essentially is that is that a bunch of a bunch of messi or, or, or messianic apocalyptic Jews got so frustrated with there not being a Messiah that they came to believe that the story the Messiah had already played out in heaven and that what they were waiting for was already taking place and that that Messiah had sacrificed themselves to the demons, essentially, to, to, to and, and, and become resurrected to defeat death. And soon he was going to come to earth, wipe out the Roman Empire, rebuild Jerusalem, and allow everybody to live forever uh, in harmony. And that's why Paul's like, don't bother getting married because the world's about to end soon, right? It's why Paul is so fervently apocalyptic. Right. Um, I, I don't think you need a guy <laughs> for, for any of this. And and one of the the frustrations that I tend to have with historicists is that they create what I would call kind of a Jesus of the gaps, right? They they marginalize Jesus so much that what you have left is the husk of a person. And I'm like, well, is it worth having? That? Like, do, do we need this person to explain everything? Mm -hmm. And if the explanation can be put in place without him, I, I think you got to favor that explanation. Okay, so uh, let me. I'm going to ask. Um... Okay, this well, let me ask this question first. Yeah. How does this you mentioned the Dead Sea Scrolls? How does this tie in to the, to the what's what is in the Dead Sea Scrolls? Yeah, it doesn't necessarily. It's just that the Dead Sea Scrolls confirmed that um Jewish religious and philosophical thought was a hell of a lot more diverse and esoteric than we had known it to be a hundred years gotcha. ago. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, and I still think we're still kind of processing everything that's in the Dead Sea Scrolls. I still think there's a lot of academic work like to be done and being done um, about I, exactly I'm, what they mean and what they imply. I know there's references to things like the teacher of righteousness, and there is yes. one school of thought that that maybe is Jesus. Uh, there's also a school uh, of thought that that's John the Baptist, and and yeah. yes, and so if the teacher of righteousness is Jesus, that means that the uh, the idea of Jesus has been around for a lot longer than the first century AD, right? Because right. it's an older concept, yeah, correct, um, and 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 predates it. Um, on the other side of this, like be going beyond Paul, the reason why I think the Gospel of Mark only reinforces this idea um, is because. I, I like I love the Gospel of Mark. I think it is one of the most uh, the one of the most clever pieces of writing in in the history of the of language, right? Um, and Mark appears to be you can assemble Mark without anything new, right? You can take the Odyssey, right? you can take Homer, um, and you can take uh, a uh, a mishmash of Hebrew scriptures and you can take the story of Elisha and Elijah and you can take the story of Joshua and you can take some stuff from Isaiah and from Daniel and you can construct Mark right you, you don't need a person to ever have said anything uh in order for for Mark to exist 
And what most people, because most people ignore Mark because it is, they think it's just a watered down version of Matthew. And of course, all scholarship now says like, no, right. no, other way it's, around. Right. It's all around. Mm -hmm. and, and, yeah. and Mark is a really, is a really unique and fascinating gospel because, because Mark has this thing that we call the messianic secret. Um, I don't know if you know too much about that. I can talk a little bit about that if you need me to elaborate on that at all, but it's a, it's the, well, it's the uh, coolest feature of Mark. I want to clarify. I want you to clarify something. Yeah. Um, so in this realm that is built directly on top of ours in this cosmology okay. yeah 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 so everything is the same so there's like counterparts of me and you in that in that realm so yeah. in other words in the first century ad there are romans there too and they, <laughs> you would think so and, yeah and, and they're just as terrible in that realm as yeah. they are down here yeah. So you're you're kind of screwed either way. So, but they, but the Romans still in the Sanhedrin is there too. So the Romans <laughs> crucify Jesus in that realm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they're talking about. Is that basically kind of is that the idea? I don't think Paul thinks of it as Romans. Um, Paul calls says it's the Archons of the Age. Archons, yeah. Which is the Gnostics right? pick up on that later. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I again, I think the existence of Gnosticism is also compelling evidence for this. But we can, again, that's that's another kind of side yeah. side note there. So, yeah, I don't think I don't think it's Paul. I think Mark is the one who transfers that story into the Romans and makes the Romans the, mm. the evil devils archons of the age, because Mark is responding to to the the Jewish uprising, right? He's responding probably to the destruction of the temple. And he's seeing this like apocalyptic holy shit moment. And he's writing this this urgent screed, right, about sort of like, better get every your act together um and 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 transposing the demonic forces that that murdered you know that that crucified the lord in the sky um onto the romans uh that that's kind of how i've come to see it okay um and, and so mark structures his his gospel with what's called the messianic secret and, and it's the weirdest thing about the gospel which is that jesus is constantly telling people not to tell anybody he's the messiah <laughs> right he's like i'm the messiah but keep it a secret don't tell anybody right and he, yeah. he he does this thing so so the curious thing about mark is that jesus when he talks when he when he teaches in parables he does this thing where he's like i don't teach in parables to make it clearer to people i teach in parables to make it obscure to people and getting back to what i was saying at the very beginning here about this idea of like secret knowledge and conspiracism right i suspect that mark was 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 crafted as a um a deliberately metaphorical and secretive text right for a certain cult of christians what what gary stevens calls i think appropriately jesus clubs i really like that term i think it's a really good way of thinking about it right um and and, and it's very clear that this is secret information because jesus keeps saying i'm only saying this to the people who understand it right and it's almost as though mark is saying through the text what i am writing here is a metaphor this is not meant to be taken literally this is a metaphor about you know the, if jesus existed in the world and i've replaced jesus with this guy from nazareth and i've replaced the archons with the romans and so on and so forth and only you who are in my club will understand what this is all about and everybody else is not saved so screw him anyway it doesn't matter 
Um, and then when we see that those things change in Matthew and Luke, as this idea of a historical Jesus begins to kind of take shape, I think sometime around the 90s AD, right, um, they just sort of think that part's confusing if <laughs> they don't use it. And, uh, and, and they, they write a much more straightforward kind of um, almost biographical, right, sort of narrative uh, of, of Jesus with the miracles and the lessons and everything else. And, and Matthew is more interested in sort of like reframing Jewish teaching and ethic to ethical teaching and all that sort of thing. And, and I just think that over time, you know, people just there was a there was a a thread of Christianity who were like, oh yeah, this guy must have really existed, and this is what the, my tradition is and what's been passed down to me, and it just sort of that ended up winning. That ended up being the 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 model that um, that caught fire, and and the rest of them died off. And we know there were a bunch of others, right? We know there were other understandings of Jesus that are very different, and and certainly. They, they might believe Jesus came to earth, but they certainly don't believe he was human, right? And and that was a pretty common belief. Yeah, there's some of the Gnostics that believe that this might have been the Valentinians. I'm not sure Yeah, that they believed that Christ was just this, like, vaporish form. Right. That, you know, because, you know, the, by that point, dualism is coming in and they're, right. you know, you... you there's no way that this this person this this entity could be made anything physical because everything physical is bad. So I guess making th uh, this figure into a real person, giving him this history, allows for better proselytization on the part of these these groups. <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, that that's a place that I'm really interested in right now. Right. So as I've kind of decided to take on this perspective um in kind of academic pursuit right i that's a place that i'm really interested in why um carriers talked a little bit about this and he, he has some theories about it and i'm not like overly compelled by one way or the other i would guess just if if i'm kind of putting myself in the position that i think that it sells better i think i think that's pretty much it right that the that these are very paul's theology and Christology is very esoteric and highfalutin, right? It's sort of hard to sell to the common audience. I I suspect that I'm pretty, uh, to, to give a sort of, um, a sort of uh, corollary example, I, I don't think Siddhartha Buddha existed either, right? Like, I, I, I don't think this is a real person. I, I think that this is a school of thought that emerged that created an origin story for itself. And it's a very compelling and complex and, and rich and human origin story. But I think the reason that you do something like that is not just that it helps preserve the tradition because you can ground it in something that is much more relatable and much more sort of immediate, but also that it's sort of like, yeah, as human beings, we want the evidence of like something that happened on earth right, in order to sort of be more compelled by the story. And, and I suspect that it was the groundedness of this kind of post-Pauline, um, you know, post-gospel Jesus that made it a good sell. I don't know. I, I'm still I'm still really curious to sort of understand how the, the so-called switch happened, if the switch happened. But that would be my my, my best guess, is that it, it sells better, right? Like, it's it's just... You know, it's one of the reasons why I think people are resistant to this theory in general is because especially believing Christians who are, who are not going to and they shouldn't like they should believe what they want to believe. Um, 
this is not I'm not saying this to convert Christians into like you know this perspective um but but those who are academic right and and who don't have a skin in the game so to speak the compelling thing is we want some earthly activity to have happened to confirm everything else but I think for someone like Paul you didn't need that 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 he fundamentally really did believe this happened and believed that Jesus Christ existed and um it's not it's not a fantasy to him it's not a myth it's not a it's not a it's not superstition it's it's a real thing that really happened but human beings prefer it's like why people want to know who Q is right it's the same fucking thing it's like it's like I just need to confirm like this one person Mm -hmm. and this one thing and then I can buy a whole bunch of other stuff you 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 hit on something and this is something that um you know in in the historic in the historicist point of view you know that they they talk a lot about how once paul begins to go on his missions which is to the greek-speaking world uh and the bible and a lot of people actually don't know this the the books of the new testament are all written in greek there's no hebrew books of the new testament or aramaic no um no (laughs) so there's not when paul after paul does this um there is this idea that eventually jesus uh takes on these traits of these other kind of rising and dying gods that were all our demigods that were part of the greco-roman culture like Mm -hmm. dionysus um hercules uh, there's there's very similar traits between Prometheus, these gods, and Jesus, and I mean, it's yeah. in, so, in some ways it's pretty unescapable. So the historicists yeah. say that this was just something that was grafted on to make that more appealing to the Greeks. You're kind of even what you're saying, really, and I think others are saying is that you actually you're pushing that a little earlier, even before yeah. Paul has his conversion experience, that it may have been these Hellenized Jews. They came up with a concept that is very similar because you said you can, you know, like Hera's a mother. She gives birth to gods. She gives birth to Apollo and, and Artemis. These gods that are produced in this other realm, well, just as say Joshua the Savior is produced in this other realm. So it's almost like the Helena, there's a cross pollinization where these Hellenized Jews are probably picking this up from Hellenic religion. Is, that, is and that something safe to say? That is. I think it's, a, I, I'm, it's I'm glad you made that point. It's a great point. Um, I, I got I got two two things to say about that. One, you in your in your episode that you that you just released um, most recent to when we're talking, um, you know, you talked about your your guest talked about um, the evolution of Yahweh and and yeah. and Elohim right. and how they're borrowed from other religions and sort of then mm-hmm. recast and 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 this is a tradition that is as old as Judaism right Judaism has always been doing this and um Judaism is first and foremost a a religion of intellect it's a religion of um of of writing and arguing with that writing and and criticizing that writing and hybridizing and trying to, and distilling and and really engaging with um, mythology and allegory and archetype, right? And it, it, that that's sort of its the, the richness of its of its core. 
And so from that perspective, none of this surprises me, right? This is like, this is what's always been done. In fact, you know, I, you know, it, it's sort of the arguments often made that when Judaism made the final shift from what we call monolatry, which is, which is the primary worship of a single God to monotheism is during the Babylonian exile. And, and, and uh, probably that has to do with, with interactions in, in Persia with Zoroastrians right. and, 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 and sort of, you know, taking on these being like, that's a really cool theology and idea. We're just going to use it in ours now because they, they've always seemed to understand that part of religion is man-made but like you can man make religion enough that you do get close to some kind of universal truth or God, right? That that seems to be kind of a thread of of, of Judaism all along. And so if if that what you're saying is right, then then yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it, it's completely in line with everything else. And the other thing on that note is I'll also say that if Jesus was a real person, then it's really an anomaly in in the history of religion because the thing is most scholars now also agree that moses is a mythic figure that moses never existed right um that david is at best a very 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 minor resemblance to anything that's in the bible and i think even that is incredibly sketchy on the evidence and that coming up with sort of you know, mythic versions of big ideas is just part of that tradition. And so if Jesus was first real, it seems like it would almost kind of violate um, <laughs> the majority of the tradition, right? It would, it would make Jesus kind of weird uh, within that, within that framework. And, and that, that's something that I think I mean, I'm I'm just I want to hedge what I'm saying because you know you know I do consider myself a Christian, but I but right. I want to say that I think that that messes us up as post enlightenment, twenty uh, first century individuals where we get our news pretty quickly and we've got this documented, you know everything's online and and we we can prove we can go to Snopes and we can prove it never happened or you know right and, and but 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 the blur between fact and fiction for the ancient world their concepts were completely different. There, there was no concept of really history in itself is in its nascent form, the writing of it. So the, all their concepts are completely alien to how we see the world mm -hmm. as post-enlightenment 21st century people. Sure. And I put yeah. an emphasis on that, on the enlightenment, <laughs> because that's really the beginning of rational of rationality and in thought. Yeah, as as we understand it now, yeah. for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's a great point. Um, yeah. No, I, I I I agree with that. I I like. It's 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 difficult. So I I know some people, or like I, I know of some people who have accepted this view and remain Christian, right? Who 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 still love the tradition and love the faith and are like, well, if Jesus, I mean, if I believe in heaven and if I believe that like God does stuff in heaven and like saints live in heaven or whatever, then like, why is this any different? Why, why does Jesus have to have existed on earth? Yeah, um, I see, I could see how there could be an opening there. I, I, again, I want to say this. It does seem that there is, the, there really is the viewpoint now yeah, in Christianity, but it's particularly in the more evangelical far right 
that you are dealing basically with this God, you know, Jesus is just the wrathful, vengeful God. And, and it's, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and he's much, and he's, he's much more divine than he is human, which yeah. essentially is, um, which essentially, if you really want to t- take it down to it, is really kind of heretical according to the Nicene Creed, because you know the 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 ancient church spent a long time hashing this out, whether Jesus was fully human, fully divine, and they finally said he is both. But there is no humanity. There is very little humanity in a lot of this really right wing, rabid. Yeah, you know he's the storm vengeful God. I mean, you know that's what it's become. So it's interesting that it's kind of it's interesting to be to be seen in that light. That's um, a really good point. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about some of these proofs that the historicists use, and when and, and when we're not sure. talking about the proofs of. So we're not talking about any Christian mainline Christian proofs. What we're talking about, we're throwing the gospels out. Okay, and we're just completely, you know, <laughs> whether you believe in them or sorry, not. Sorry, they're in the trash. For, yeah, for, for, yeah for, for, <laughs> no for, more gospels. Yeah, well, we, we sort of are, um, but for the uh, for the sake of this argument, we're throwing yeah. them out. Yeah. Uh, but so, so one thing that came up in um, a debate that I watched um, yesterday and today. What about the Q source? We're not talking about QAnon. Oh, we're talking about the Q source. Okay. Supposedly, right. this thing that both matthew and mark yes or i guess matthew and luke drew from that is basically a sayings gospel which is and and the episcopal church actually was really big on this i remember getting a book about this in the episcopal church they were actually selling it in the bookstore sure okay so so this is a place where carrier and i for instance like i i part ways with him he is a he is a virulent anti-qist um i Mark Goodiker, who I also like quite a bit, who is a historicist, is also an anti-Qist. I have a hard time. There's reasons why I can't quite get myself to the place that Matthew used Luke as a source or vice versa. Um, I, 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 there's, there's, there's problems with that theory, right? Like uh, there's problems with every theory, but there's problems with that theory that for me, the hypothetical Q um, helps to solve. And uh we know, for instance, like the gospel of, we, we know the idea, we know that the existence of sayings gospels was a thing. We discovered the gospel of Thomas. That's basically what it is. And the gospel of Thomas is much later, but it, it is a, it looks like what the hypothetical cue would have looked like, right? It's, it's a, it's a series of Jesus said this, then Jesus said this, then Jesus said this. Um, there's also some pretty compelling reconstructions of Q that are sort of reverse engineered from Matthew and Luke. Um, that read pretty well as a narrative. And so like, you can kind of see how it would look Um, for the sake of your audience so that we're not just getting too wonky here. The theory is that this this other source existed. We know that Matthew and Luke plagiarized from Mark a great deal, but there's also content in Matthew and Luke that's very, very similar, if not identical, uh, that's not in Mark, that appears mostly to be stuff Jesus is saying, right? So Jesus opens his mouth and says something or teaches something. And the theory is that they used a common source called Q, and that once they became popular gospels, Q ceased to be reproduced because what's the point? All of Q is in Matthew and Luke, and so we no longer have Q which is a fine theory. 
And um, the word the, the Q comes from the Latin word for source, which starts with a Q. For Quela, right? Yeah, which, yeah, for, 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 yeah. For, for source. Yes, yeah. it's, and it's nothing to do with Q and on. It's right. just people like to right. use the word, word Q when dealing with mysteries for whatever reason. That's <laughs> again, that's a whole other trope and art and uh, conversation that, right. that that could be had. Um, I'm completely like I'm not sold on the idea that Q existed. I, I I think that there's probably other ways of explaining it, but I think it's a perfectly feasible theory. I don't think it does anything for historicism. I just don't like I I, I think the reason that people like Carrier are allergic to Q is because he worries that it's sort of like, but I just don't think it is. I don't I don't I don't think it helps the historicist case at all. I don't believe there was somebody who was taking notes of what Jesus was saying. And all of those sayings are very clearly like they 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 could come from essentially a mishmash of like a little bit of stoicism, a little bit of Paul, and a little bit of reinterpretation of the Old Testament. And there's just nothing there where I'm like, oh well, Jesus must have existed if somebody said this. Um yeah, I mean, I, I I date. I typically think of Matthew and Luke as probably later than most scholars do. Um, I I don't think the earlier. I think the the dating of Matthew to like seventy five A.D. is just wishful thinking. I just don't think so. Um, and so I, I I can imagine that Q came into existence sometime after Mark when the when the popularity of a historical Jesus was already sort of well well on its way, and that people you know wrote a, a list of teachings and sayings of this figure, and they could also have been revelatory. This could have been someone who like had a vision of Christ in heaven saying these things, right? There's just nothing about the existence of Q mm -hmm. that I think is useful one way or the other. Um, but I, 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 yeah. I love the theory. I think it's a, it's, it's really, it's really compelling as a, as a, as a textual theory, but, but little else. Something like the gospel of Thomas. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's, a, it's also a sayings gospel. Correct. And it seems to be, have a very otherworldly type of quality to it as well. Um, but it also has some overlap. I mean, I yeah. mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't make any goddamn sense. And, the gospel, and you're like, what were they talking about? And what do these right. people believe? Right. But then there's also stuff that's just like verbatim from the gospels. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's an interesting sort of, um, uh, sort of point on the map along the evolution of early Christianity. Yeah, you have I, this this diversion into into very weird places. <laughs> I think I think it's important that because there is that myth that like Christianity springs and you know I mean like the like the Orthodox like to say they're the original Christians. Well, sorry, buddy, you're not. You're whatever you're not. was left when Constantine took over. <laughs> um you know so yeah. you can at least say 325 ad but there were so many communities and so many groups and but so many very different beliefs i mean like the nag hammadi scrolls i mean just yeah. proves that yeah yeah absolutely and yeah. and there there was an idea in one of these things that i watched that that even the, the even just lumping them all together as the gnostics may not be actually correct that we may be dealing with so many different ideas and beliefs that it's just easier to lump them all together in that way yeah i think narcissism i still use the term for the sake of academic convenience but i think it's mostly yeah. lost its value um as as a as a as a real useful term because it just doesn't really describe anything anymore um the the early christianity the the different jesus clubs were so rich in diversity that it's just like mm -hmm. not worth 
pretending there was this one strain that's sort of post Pauline and everything else and that they were fundamentally different because they weren't, but they were right. And like, yeah. they were different from each other in, in ways that are as different as they are each from, from, from Paul. So yeah, um, I, I completely agree with that. And it makes sense because they're kind of, they're kind of isolated from each other. I mean, even in Paul's letters, a lot of what he's trying to do in the letters is okay, yeah. guys, get back on, get back with the program, get back with what I'm telling you because you're kind of diverging from the path. So all this, yeah. this, all these things just start start to happen. And once you get into the, I think you get into the third century, that's when the really big persecution, like the Decian persecution, Diocletian, and these things start to happen. So there's actually a lot that just gets lost. Yeah, and even in that. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's turn to uh the non-Christian accounts. And the two that okay. are brought up frequently yeah. are Tacitus. Yeah. And Josephus. Josephus is a little more major right. than Tacitus, but let's let's tackle Tacitus first. What he is uh, so saying about what's the, the task what's what what's Tacitus saying? So he says, but all human efforts, all the lavish gifts of the emperor and the okay. So what he's what's going on is he's talking about Nero, I believe, and then right. um, Tacitus is actually writing. I think he's in the second century, if I if memory right. serves correct. Yeah. So so he says so the Roman historian, and I think he also has some personal knowledge of this because he's dealing with Christians when he's working uh, maybe i um, don't actually maybe i'm getting him confused with plenty or somebody um yeah you're thinking of plenty yeah. right so he um, said, but he he was he was close to plenty so right. so i mean they were they were yeah they were, uh yeah so yeah, plenty plenty is colleagues. working for he's working for trajan mm -hmm. and they're trying to get you know the the cult of the emperor and we're trying to get these people to at least make a sacrifice to, to the state because that's how we make right. our money basically so like the, the Christian the persecution hasn't really started in earnest, like I said, but uh, mm -hmm. so he's so he's writing about Nero. He's about a century later, and he says, "But all human efforts, all the lavish gifts of the emperor, and the propitiation of the gods, did not banish the sinister belief that conflagration was the result of an order." So that's talking about the fire of Rome. Consequently, right. to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Mm -hmm. Christus, mm -hmm. from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius mm -hmm. Pilate. Mm -hmm. And a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out <laughs> not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world would find their center and become popular. How do you right. really feel, Tacitus? Don't don't hold back. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. One of the things that came to mind when he mentions this about Pontius Pilate, we know Pontius Pilate existed. We do know yes. that. Yep. Um, I don't know if it would have been so hard. I know this is speculation, but so a lot of this is. I don't know if it would have been so hard for at the, especially at this time, you know, like the like the Visigoths and the Vandals haven't sacked Rome yet. So, right. would it have been? too hard for tacitus to go to like some hall of records and you know oh okay pontius Pilate did execute this guy i mean that's yeah. could he have accessed something that we just are not is available to him that's not available to us anymore 
the, the thing about that passage, right, and uh, the the one that sort of is the most suspect is that the name Christus doesn't really seem that it has any um, any connection to Christianity, and right, like Christus is not a reasonable name that you would choose for the Jesus character, right? It'd be Christos first of all, right? And yeah, like we 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 never really know um which of these historical documents i mean like josephus obviously like the the testimony in flavian is 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 i think pretty clearly a forgery um and pretty clearly a later addition to it um so it's it's really hard to say you're also of course dealing with something that's occurring decades later and um you just it's you just don't like if somebody you know in 30 years we're to talk about like what he heard about some random event that was pretty much undocumented 30 years earlier i don't think today we would take it as very convincing evidence um you know it's something i guess but but it it's not it it's sort of like the it's it's the same problem basically that i have with the um the argument from galatians of of the brother of of the lord right where we're in galatians after paul has already said everything i know i got from revelation he goes and he meets peter which does not go well um and he also talks he also says that he met with james brother of the lord and 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 that obviously that means that jesus had a biological brother because the gospels confirm it well again we can't use gospels for any confirmation and we also know that Peter or, or Paul routinely says that anybody who is baptized is a brother in the Lord, right? Like that's, it's just, that's just a title. And I just don't think there's any value to that whatsoever. But we also have to remember that like a lot of the, we don't have the sort of original versions of these documents. A lot of these documents are, are, um, you know, tampered with and, and, and whatever else. And, and people read into them. What that's they want possible. To read into them. Yeah. Um, and so, so, you know, it's just, it's, it's so sketchy. As for the crucifixion scene itself, um, none of it makes any sense. None of it lines up with the way things were actually done. The idea that Jesus would go to like the Sanhedrin first, it's its nonsense. Like it's not, that's not how anything worked, right? In terms of um, Roman law and Jewish law and the interaction of the two and anything else. We know that Pontius Pilate was a notorious um uh you know hanging judge right like that he he was a ruthless executor of anybody he thought was a problem i'm quite sure that there were similar sort of cults of personality of people very much like sort of the historical jesus um who pontius pilate really did crack down on right and and I, i'm sure that those cults existed I just don't think it's this. I just don't think that it's it's the same, right? I don't think it's the same person. I don't think it's the the same connection. But I do find the Tacitus thing slightly more compelling than the Josephus thing, which I find not compelling whatsoever. Sure, we'll talk about that. I'll talk. I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. It's, okay. it's just it's just interesting to me that that he does mention Pilate. Yes, and he yeah. and 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 he, Tacitus is probably of the same class that Pilate would have been. Yeah, and. So it just seems to me like 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 he that that he had to have pulled that from somewhere. Yeah. Now did he um does jo- I'm sure I don't he think did. I don't think Josephus just Jos I mean I guess Josephus does talk about Pilate, but I don't think he talks yeah. about Pilate in relation to to Jesus. Does Pilate it? was quite notorious and yeah. 
It's worth also noticing, uh, no, noting that Pliny, who Tacitus was very close to, also just has no understanding of Christians at all. And everything that's, that he gets from, about Christians is very secondhand and very, very sketchy and seems to be coming from the word of Christians themselves, yeah. right? Who are telling him their own story. Um, right. And again, they're just, yeah, they're just that, telling them what their beliefs are, basically. Right, yeah. right. And, and so again, it's, it's very sort of like, I would we need a lot more of a smoking gun about how Tacitus came to say what Tacitus came to say and also why Tacitus refers to Jesus wrong um, because he refers to him by a title that is, again, if anything, lays credence to the idea that he's getting all of this knowledge very secondhand and like, That's right. Possible. And, and, yeah. and, and, and it's, it's all sort of coming from a, um, from a myth of a certain, of a certain kind of group because Christus yeah. is, is just not, the name of something <laughs> it's well, like, well, it's well, his, not... his tone in that passage is very dismissive like i mean these people yes. are weird like you yeah know, they believe yeah, weird yeah. things yep. like i mean come on guys just and so i could just see him just like oh he's like christus you know whatever yes. i'm not you know, i'm not who cares you know 100 percent. but it also <laughs> speaks to the idea it also speaks to the idea that there wasn't this monumental event yeah. where Pontius Pilate executed this guy and like it caused right it, it, it just sort of seems right. like right it, it's makes even more of sort of an afterthought of the historical Jesus as just a nothing burger <laughs> right for lack of a better term um which I, I just again I have a hard time believing people would build their religion around that but um so know. Joe um Josephus yeah Josephus uh, he's Josephus. usually he's usually the big one <laughs> He is um yeah. now there i mean if you read josephus if you you know there are some things that are there is there is something that obviously is inserted into josephus yeah you know that you know jesus was the son of god and 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 all this kind of josephus would not have believed this no <laughs> thank you yes yeah <laughs> that's true and I think there is this idea that Eusebius might have something to do with some of that. And, yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, Eusebius. Uh, one of my faves. One of the, one of the great frauds of, <laughs> of all history. But, um, but, but I guess the real thing is there is this, there's this, the, the, the debated passage yeah. is between the sources and the mythicists is about James. Yes. So what's this yeah. all about? So he refers to like James the Just, I think, right? There's also something called the Slavonic Josephus <laughs> that I've heard that I've heard is that that has concepts that may not be so Christian. Mm. That is that is something that it was apparently found um in Russia end of 19th century interesting yeah i don't know if you've ever heard of that but that's i have not i gotta look yeah. into it so what he says in antiquities um yeah. is this and again it is incredibly suspect so he says festus was now dead and albinus was but upon the road so he assembled the sanhedrin of judges and brought before them bro the, the brother of jesus who was called christ which is not something that Josephus would have said, um, whose name was James and some others or some of his companions. And when he had formed an accusation against them as breakers of the law, he delivered them to be stoned. But as for those who seemed the most equitable of the citizens and such as, as were the most unlikely to ease, uneasy uh, of the breach of the laws, blah, 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 blah. All right, so here's the thing, right? The part where Josephus says 
who was the brother of Jesus, who is known as Christ, as you just mentioned, we, we, we can ignore that. Josephus did not originally write that. There's just absolutely no way, right? Because Josephus was a very traditional uh, Jew who came from a, like a, you know, a, a, I think a, a Sadisaic family. Right? Yeah, he did, right. Uh, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's not, he's, he's not writing that. He's not writing Jesus who was called Christ. And even if he did write that he was a, a brother of Jesus or brother of the Lord or whatever, right? Again, that's something that that Paul establishes that doesn't mean anything biological. It, it's it's just not useful. And if we take that out, if we assume that the Jesus part and the Christ part is added, then we just have a guy named James who is just involved in some kind of civil uprising who is like executed for it. Um, and it's just not useful. I mean, it just strikes me as someone, a later Christian, seeing this passage and being like, oh, he must be talking about that, James. I'm going to throw Jesus in there um, so that we have this, you know, this historical evidence of it. Um, it's just, it's too thin. It's just not compelling enough. And and even if it, even if it were authentic, which again, the language of it says no, it's still being written decades after the fact. And there is no reason to believe that, like, what Josephus is saying is based on anything other than hearsay um, and and just stories that he's heard that he's writing into history. And we have to remember that the 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 way we think about history today is not the way that history has been written in in, in history, right? That's that's uh, true, right? The, I think that was my my point when I made the, the the comment about the Enlightenment. I mean, I think that that's right. Yeah, right. Right. So the idea of having corroboration and sources and not just doing something to please the people who are paying you. Right. Like this is these are new ideas. Um, so, again, like between Tacitus and Josephus, is it nothing? No, it's not. And if you can prove to me that these writings are authentic and that they somehow through the decades have a really good reason to know that this Jesus guy existed and not just something that they heard, then that becomes compelling evidence. But the missing link, so to speak, isn't there. And I don't think we should pretend that it is. I think people pretend that it is because people still think the Gospels must have some kind of historical value. And I don't see anything to, that's compelling about that either. Um, and until I see it, then, again, I have to go with the model that checks more boxes for me and, um, and it explains more about sort of like where this religion came from and, and why. And... Uh, and 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 that's the better one. I mean, when, he, when Ermont goes out of his way to present the idea, like he as a as a historicist and as a agnostic, borderline atheist historicist, right? Um, he has to come up with this idea of mass delusion. He he understands that for the historicist model to work, that the so-called disciples who are never mentioned until the Gospels. They're only ever apostles until the Gospels. There's no work mentioning of disciples anywhere else. But the so-called disciples must have believed that this guy that they hung out with came back to life somehow and really trips over himself trying to explain that. I don't yeah. think it's impossible, but it's a very big hurdle to, to clear when you acknowledge that you have to clear that hurdle. And I just think, well, what if we don't have to clear the hurdle? What if we just take the hurdle away and see what's there? And I, and I think that that's just a, a better conclusion. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, it, 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 but in that respect, if you don't have that, then this mythical figure is in this other heaven is crucified returns 
what what is the the purpose of that resurrection what is that what is that purpose in that in that cosmology to defeat death defeat death so this is this is the here, right i'm here, glad you asked that here and there is what so this means. is where it gets complicated actually yeah. i think a really good way of illuminating this and now i'm going to talk really nicely about bart Ehrman. um he wrote a book about the afterlife and about the um the evolution of the afterlife as a concept yeah judaism has no afterlife right right um and and judaism classical judaism especially had no concept of the soul that the thing that makes people alive is the breath of God. And um, and that's the essence of living things. And you see this, in fact, in the Gospels, right? When Jesus dies, it specifically says he breathed his last and, and, and you know, his spirit was, was he commended his spirit to, to heaven, right? So what starts to happen, and if we look at what Paul is saying, what we see is that Paul is expecting that the world is about to end and that when the re the reclamation of the kingdom of david and the new jerusalem happens that those perfect heaven bodies are going to be the new bodies in which people will occupy forever right and their immaculate pure heaven bodies um that are waiting for them but jesus has to return first to like give them those bodies and so by by being crucified, Jesus in the heaven sphere defeats the devil, defeats evil, defeats all death. And Paul very clearly believes that the world is going to end in his lifetime and that people yeah. should not bother doing, you know, getting married. Paul either wasn't married or, or, was and left his wife <laughs> we don't really know <laughs> but like clearly isn't married at the time that he's writing and by the way i think the reason that jesus isn't married and that's that's weird for a for a for a rabbi in mark is because paul wasn't married and that jesus is basically paul right that that mark's writing just a, a fictional kind of version of paul um so so you know there's this imminent imminent um new jerusalem and that we're all going to live in our resurrection bodies, but we have to hold out until that happens. But Jesus, in defeating the devil, defeats death. And once we get our resurrection bodies, they will be immortal. They will be eternal. And they, and, and we will all live happily ever after, forever um, in the New Jerusalem, so on and so forth. Now, the reason that I bring up the Ermon book is because one of the things that he points out is when we look at the evolution of the Christian idea of the afterlife in heaven, is that essentially in order to fill the gap because Jesus kept not coming, right? Jesus kept not showing up and the world kept not ending, um, we start to see evidence that there is a belief in a kind of waiting room. Um, so if you die before Jesus comes back, you go into the heaven space and you hang out there in your resurrection body, thanks to Jesus, until Jesus and the rest of his gang, you included, go back to Earth and the apocalypse and, you know, all of that stuff in New Jerusalem. Um, and then over time, that just became what happens when you die. So, so there's this sort of this sort of progression, right, of that of that belief system of like, oh, crap, world still hasn't ended. How do I explain what's going to happen to believers in the short period of time between their death and the imminent end of all things yeah. and, and 
and and the new the new rebirth we, um, we cut out that space we cut out that 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 extra step yeah right right and so the short answer is like exactly the same thing that he died for on earth right to yeah. like to 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 defeat evil uh to eradicate original sin to eliminate the entire need for any temple cult um and and to give individuals direct access to god right as as the final sacrificial messiah who who also was able to die and then and then undie which is what we're all hoping for um so so <laughs> if we so 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 we if we just kind of like a little bit in conclusion here so if yeah. we want to understand the the in your viewpoint what is the root of christianity then we need yeah. to go to the seven the seven real i guess the the, the seven like that that's undoubtedly paul yes that's where that's where you're drawing from and that's right. looks like galatians first first thessalonians first and second corinthians romans philippians and philemon right so second thessalonians is is contested there's okay. some there's some who believe that it's uh that it's authentic and some who who don't i I tend to be, I tend to err on the side of that it's not authentic. Um, but so that means that the uh, the seven authentic ones are Galatians, 1 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Romans, Philippians, Philemon. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then also Colossians and Ephesians are contested as well. They are contested. Um, Hebrews is also contested, but I, yeah. I don't think there's really any question about Hebrews. Um but, they don't even ascribe that to Paul anymore. I don't think it used no, to. No, and it's but, not even really an epistle. Yeah, um, it's it's very weird, right? Uh, that it's there. I mean, it's a great it's a great piece of writing. Um, you know, uh, in, in a vacuum, it's 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 really interesting. It doesn't really tell us very anything anything important um, about about Paul. You know, and and again, I I would always err towards the things that we're sure about. So you know, Second Thessalonians. Um, if you're really interested in just sort of really focusing on the earliest sources that we do have right i would go to the ones that the majority of scholars are are, are sure about and and just like on on the note of kind of scholarship and and sort of um the authority of scholars you know I, someone asked me like pretty recently how i kind of as as someone who by nature, I tend to um, default to academic consensus, right? Uh, and it's like, this is not academic consensus, what you're saying here. And I think it's always worth pointing out that like in, in religious studies, academic consensus changes more than really any other field. And with this particular topic, um, there's so much emotion and so much personal identity that's rooted in it that it's really hard. Like, if you're a if you're a mythicist, you're gonna have a really really hard time getting a job at a university, right? Because not just that it's not the academic consensus, but that it's also like it it feels like you are um, you are denying the validity of a religion that frankly has a um, a power monopoly in the U.S. right and and in the West. And I completely understand that. Like I I, I think a lot of people who i who i admire i think they would more likely be on my side if they felt it was worth it <laughs> you know what i mean that that if they felt that like the ability to get uh a, a, a tenured position while holding that perspective 
even in a very secular field, right? Uh, it, it, it's still it's still very very difficult. So I think there's people who would be receptive to it, but just don't think it's worth the kind of academic price. And then there's the other people who are like, look, this is this is my religion, and it's like, great, that's your religion, and so you should not think differently. Um, you should stick to your religion because that's how religion works. And so ignore everything that I've just said, right? That's it's completely fine. Yeah. But you know, I, I would also point out that you know, within the last century, academic consensus was that Moses existed, and now it is not. And 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 it's it's pretty firmly not, right? And um, if things change really quickly um, with, within this field, uh, it is a very, it's a unique um, area of inquiry. So um, things change. And, and as I said, it's sort of, I just, I just kind of feel that it is, it would be intellectually dishonest for me to not um, from from where I am right now, approach the way I study this and the way that I that I talk about it from that perspective, because it would just be a cop out, and I, I'd be I'd be a liar. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be. The, so. <laughs> uh, it's interesting uh, uh, from listening to you and the and the the things that you told me to watch and kind of digging a little digging into this over the last few days. Uh, yeah. I revisited the scene. From Last Temptation of Christ, <laughs> where, yeah, I mean, you, you, I think you, if you've seen the movie, you know. This, oh yeah, you know oh yeah. Set up that the, yeah. that the last temptation is for him to have a wife and a family, and there's this scene, you know, Willem Dafoe plays Jesus, and it, you know he's yeah. got the family, and the man, and he encounters Paul, who's Harry yeah. Dean, Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> he, he, uh, it, it, but but it's interesting because it, it almost like it, it's almost a reflection of this. Some of these theories that I've been hearing where, you know, he said, well, he said, he says, you're telling you know, Jesus says you're, you're telling lies about me. I'm not that guy. I'm not the one that died and rose again. And 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 and, and Paul just basically looks at him and says, OK, I don't need you. I've These people are happy they they want the risen christ they don't want mm -hmm. you you know mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. yeah you're 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 basically saying you're you mean nothing to me like they want <laughs> the other guy yeah yeah you know? so yep. i always yeah. thought, that, I thought <laughs> that was an interesting and interesting it's a great point I, I don't know if that i think that might be in kazutaki's novel but it, a lot of it might be paul schrader so I, you know i, I don't know I haven't but, read the novel. I, I, from what I know, I wouldn't be yeah, surprised, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it's yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> it's the, a great movie. I gotta watch that again. Yeah, the novel is uh, is pretty bizarre. Um, but yeah, it, it's got a lot of bizarre it. imagery. But um, yeah, the like, there's this whole section where like, you know, J Jesus is walking with Matthew, right? And like, Matthew is basically he shows him this book that he's writing. So he's writing the book of Matthew mm -hmm. and Jesus says, this never happened. I never said, and he said, but he said, Lord, you don't understand. Like I'm, he's basically doing like automatic writing. He's like, you don't understand. Like this, this, this force takes over me and is writing this. I'm not writing this. And then, and then Lazarus is basically a, a zombie, you know, he's like falling. Yep. He's not actually resurrected. He's falling apart. So there's a lot of weird stuff. That, <laughs> <laughs> they they actually they took out a lot of weird stuff out of the movie that was in uh, Kazusaki's book. So I was pretty young when that movie came out. Yeah, it must have been what's like 80, 88 or eighty seven. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah. I was like eight or nine years old. But yeah, like, that was I, oh man. 
I remember the freak out. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was one Holy that cow. was that was one that like I remember just like staying away from like you know. Yeah. You're not going to watch a movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I had an interesting dynamic. My my mother was a Christian. My my dad was an atheist at the time. And okay. so it was like, you know, later on, that was like the big forbidden movie. And then when you, <laughs> when, when you really, when you really watch it though, you're like, wait a minute, this is like probably the most really like this is mainstream Nicene Creed Christianity, because it's basically the struggle between the divine and human nature of Christ. Yep. And that's what they were trying to put, you know, I think if Scorsese had maybe cut some scenes out and yeah. just implied that Jesus had sex, I think things would have been fine. But the book, the the book had a lot of problems too. I mean, the, the Greek Orthodox yeah. Church banned it in Greece. And so he may have had some of the issues, but that really was, I, I, I can remember it being when I was in Chattanooga at the time when I was a kid and I remember people picketing and, you know, like it was just it was crazy interesting but, interesting irony is that the reverse side of that the, the movie that those same people were like go see this movie it's the second coming of christ was was the passion of the christ which yeah, is right fully inauthentic to the gospels it's like where are you getting this shit from like this is you know i don't remember there being a 45 minute torture scene uh anywhere in, hey part, in, in, part two is coming out next year oh please oh my god uh don't get me started um yeah this like deeply anti-semitic mishmash of of a few of the gospels of like 20 minutes of them where mel gibson is mostly concerned with just jesus getting beaten to within an inch of his life yeah and, it's um, it, it's it, bad. It, it comes <laughs> it's a bad movie. <laughs> he comes from a he comes from a very traditionalist Catholic oh, point of view. Not and even they're, traditionalist. They're, He's, but, yeah, but yeah. see, I th I, th I think people in, in some ways misinterpret that. It, like it's it's not Vatican II Catholicism. No, like his father no. he rejects Vatican II. is or yeah. was rejects Vatican II. But yeah. there is a lot of emphasis in that community about suffering yes uh, <laughs> and and i think that that's what he was trying to for for most of the world it just looked like torture porn right but i think what he was trying to project <laughs> was this this catholic this traditionalist catholic yeah. uh theme of suffering right and this guy this guy did it for you for some reason and so yeah yeah you yeah. can watch him but um, there is there's gonna cut up but like we already had braveheart and he already gets that's already happens in braveheart so you know <laughs> the, the, there is a, yeah and there is a lot of i mean i've <laughs> been a long time since i've seen it but i went to the theater to see it. my god it, it's been a long time but yeah i mean i do see that like it, it and i think it does play on some of the you know christ killer mythology I will I will give a plug. Um the the best historical Jesus thing I've ever seen, um the Discovery Channel about 15 years ago maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Um did a series called Who Was Jesus, which tries to take a very serious like it tries to sort of build the historical Jesus. Um it tr sort of tries to show you a um an archaeological and historical Jesus that you know convincingly the gospels could have been based on. Uh, it also casts a like Palestinian actor <laughs> in the role of Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't mm -hmm. give him long hair. Like it does everything right from a 
if Jesus existed, it probably looked like this. And, um, you know, I think if Jesus existed, it's probably pretty close to what that would have looked like. Um, and I, I, I can't recommend that enough. It's a really, really well done and really sort of like thoughtful and, uh, and respectful um, series. And it, it presents a compelling case of the historicist argument. Um, but again, the reason that sort of I can't quite get there is that it still leaves so many questions to me that I just don't think that that narrative uh, answers. But if you want a really good like historical Jesus, um, part documentary, part sort of dramatic reenactment uh, series, uh, uh, who was Jesus Discovery Channel 10-ish years ago? Uh, I've used it a lot in my own classes. Um, nice. Good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. Uh, John, this has been awesome, man. I, I really great discussion. I, I've really had a good time. Um, yeah, me too. Thank you. But just a real quick recap um, about your podcast and what's next for you. <laughs> so we'll start with the fun one, 1999, where I talk about the movies of the greatest movie year in history. It's a completely well outside of my normal academic field. Um, we 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 bring some smart stuff into that sometimes too, but uh, it's it's a it's a fun movie podcast with an old friend of mine. Um, that comes out every other Monday. Uh, you can get it on all of the platforms. Um, if you want to hear me talking about more, um, serious and religion -y stuff, um, as well as conspiracy theories and, you know, the far right and all kinds of other things, uh, that is hard to believe. And again, I am doing, um, for the time that we're recording this, I think I have one more episode that's coming out before it transitions into, um, a new show called Pod Only Knows, where we're going to focus okay. more on the, uh, the 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 modern religious landscape, um, uh, and it's it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. So, yeah. but you have a lot of old episodes to go back and listen to of um, some really cool interviews that I've done. I've did an episode on Scientology that's my 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 most popular episode by far uh with tony ortega a few years ago and um uh and just a, a, a i talk about comic books i talk about a whole bunch of stuff so um if you like listening to me talk for the last i don't know hour and a half or whatever it is <laughs> uh and you like you like hearing smart and interesting people uh check it out and um, i hope you stick around for the new one hey, absolutely and you said if you're already subscribed to hard to believe you'll be, yeah, be the, on the, the, on the, the same feed, feed the feed is yeah. crossing over so we're, we're gonna okay. do an episode the two of us uh pretty soon where we explain what's happening so we don't freak everybody out uh yeah. but you'll you'll see a new logo a new name but it's the same feed and uh it's still me there so i got you okay yeah. all right this has been excellent uh john thank you thank you for jo joining us john brooks everybody uh really interesting great show uh stay on the line for me i'm gonna just close it close this out uh, guys, Conspiranormal, Conspiranormal.com, Conspiranormal YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Patreon. Uh, you guys should know where to find that by now. But if you want to join the Patreon, helps us out uh, so we can get more excellent guests like this one on. Uh, and that is uh, Patreon.com slash Conspiranormal. Uh, there's several tiers on there, one of which is the $10 tier, which is the uh, Mystic Crew. That's with a K. And the where we will be doing some of our strange realities our strange realities online events first one coming up on april 21st with travis watson and uh look really looking forward to that and also 
usual plug check out the youtube channel that i am producing called nevaeh's nightmare that is if you don't know how to spell her name that is heaven backwards which is something we've kind of been touching on a lot in this discussion so guys uh sergio i don't know if he'll be back next week i think he'll be in seattle at that point but uh join us next week another interesting episode coming up with probably a special guest in the studio so stick around and we will talk to you later on conspiranormal